brought to you by Knights of Awakening. This is the Labyrinth. Okay, so today's topic is going to be one that we've probably kind of done in bits and pieces in the past. It may even be one we've done completely. But it's one I like to hit on again and again because it's important to take a note of these things in mysticism. And this is the concept of modern myth and how it influences magic and how we do it, how we do any kind of mystical operation. Before we go too much further, what we really need to take a look at are systems of magic, both classical and modern. And within the classical form of magic, generally what we have access to are things like root work methods, which involves taking plants, herbs of various forms, well, most plant, all herbs are plants, huh? But uh, items like herbs, oils, powders, and such, and using them in a formula to achieve a result. Now, this is, this is the core of root work, and it's the core of a lot of sympathetic magic, which is more along the lines of using things like the skin of an animal for its strength, or the bones of an animal, or a rock from a very specific place, maybe where a great battle was fought for the sympathetic properties that are inherently put into a thing by being in a place or being of a certain type of thing. So within this, this form of magic is very old, but we also need to look at other types of magic within that same vein in those same eras. And for classic magic, I mean any systems that are pre-modern. And modern really refers to... The past 50 years or so, give or take, maybe even the past 100 years. In your classic methods, you have a ritual that's laid out in detail what you're supposed to do and what you should expect the result to be from it. Oftentimes a very fanciful ritual, um, or at least a fanciful result. You know, claims of a demon appearing in full force and figure, or an angel appearing in full force or figure. Or some other thing of that nature. Now, these classical methods almost always rely either on folklore or associations from stories or the mythology of their era. In a lot of cases, that being Christianity and Christian ideals, uh, Judaism, and again, the local tribal religions that were eradicated or taken over, and even non tribal religions, just local religions that got taken over during the reformations and the conversions. So these things get integrated and they get systematized in some instances. This is where you get things like the Golden Dawn and then Thelema after the fact coming you know, as a result of that with this idea of you do this ritual, you get this result. To be fair, Thelema has a little bit more introspection into how it works and why it works. That's because Crowley who is the originator of Thelema, would have been, in a lot of ways, the first chaos magician. Now, chaos magic would be in the vein of modern magic, and most of what you're going to see on store shelves and things like that is really modern magic under the guise of classic magic. Even systems that use the classic magical approach, meaning they use either ritual inspired by old methods or they use correspondences based on old knowledge or old mythology, still take the modern approaches of ideas of things like energy work, shielding, cleansing, 
balancing and various other things that may not have been really as mentioned in the past or as as prominent to the ideas of magic. You know, one thing that we see a lot of is the idea of specialized spells now. This is that you follow the spell, you do this thing, and it often has, again, some modern connotations, but to get this one specific type of result where a lot of your old magic was calling something into being to then have something that would answer to you. Another good example of the differences between classic magic and modern magic is the view of spirits and working with them. In the modern view, we tend to be a bit more respectful and a little bit less um, violently aggressive, uh, whereas classical magic is incredibly aggressive towards the spirits that it works with. Uh, old Solomonic Goetic methods are harsh at best, uh, and they get harsher the older a method gets. This is because those eras, it was part of the mythos, it was part of the, the era, it was part of the common culture to be aggressive and violent and to even enslave spirits because it was part of the culture to enslave people. So these ideas come from an era that we are most likely not comfortable with ourselves as practitioners. We tend to shy away and we tend to heavily water down those methods. One thing a lot of people will ask me is, do you think the old ways work? That's a landmine, especially as a professional uh, and as someone who studied and used a lot of the new ways and a lot of the old ways and has even invented some ways of his own. Um, I want to say, yes, I believe the old ways work. I want to. I want to tell you that those systems in and of themselves are very functional very viable and that you just you follow the instructions and it works every time for everyone you just gotta make sure you follow it right and you didn't miss a step i want to say that i want to but i really can't because in my experience these systems work only as well as you can get yourself in the mind frame of them now the idea behind this mind frame concept the idea behind having to be in the right state of mind or even entering an altered state is really very modern so your classic magic you do the ritual and supposedly you get the result or a demon shows up and you can command it because you can feel its presence the book says it'll show up physically but we'll assume that was code that was code for it's not going to show up physically but you'll sense its presence you'll see candle flame shift or incense change and be aware that it's there and that you can command it and it will go do what you want it to. That's the old method. It doesn't tell you why. And that's part of where we have a big problem as, as modern mystics. We are not a people who enjoy not knowing how a thing works and then just letting it do its thing. In fact, we will disrupt any working, by and large, that we don't understand the principle behind. And most classic systems of magic go out of their way to not explain to you how they work outside of their mythology and if you're in that mythology that's great because it, it you, you fall right into the ideals that are within that system so if you're a very christian person you believe it works because god and or jesus and the archangels and that's it that's your explanation so if i walk up to someone who's a christian practicing 
uh, say, Golden Dawn magic, and I ask them, well, why does the lesser banishing pentagram work? They go, God. And, oh, okay. Uh, and how is it that you're able to call upon God? And they look, they'll look you dead in the eye and be like, Jesus. We're not getting a whole lot of answers. This isn't entirely true, because I'm, I'm doing a gross generalization of Golden Dawn practitioners. A lot of Golden Dawn practitioners study outside of the Golden Dawn to understand how it works. But I'm taking the stereotypical, I work with one system and one system only because God and or Jesus and or St. Peter and the Archangels. And that's great. But that stereotype, there are people that fall into it, mind you. The thing is a stereotype a lot of times because people fall into a stereotype. But those people that do fall into it also tend to avoid explanation as to how. You know, that's just, well... You did the steps that they asked you to. It was written down in the book, and that's how you get a hold of them. And that that's great if you believe that that's the method that works, and it's the only method that works. And that's a heck of a bubble to put yourself in as a mystic. It's kind of cutting yourself off from the rest of the world and a lot of experiences that fall outside of that. But it's a, it's a way of dealing with it. The chaos magic is a theory that we are constantly manipulating the world around us through something. And that by changing our mind frame, changing our point of reference, we influence that something more effectively. Now, you know, it's being very vague. I haven't said anything about energy or things like that, because that comes into chaos magic theory later when they explain the how of the how. <laughs> and we'll get into that in a second with the, with the modern mythos. But the classical myth actually gets explained in chaos magic better than it does in classic magic. Classic magic never tells you why God wants to answer, why this formula works. Whereas chaos magic kind of says, well, it's very simple. You put yourself in the mind frame of contacting God. You put yourself in the mind frame of contacting these beings, these archangels. You alter your awareness, your state of mind. And now that you're in that paradigm, because it is true and real to you, you make it true and real for the rest of the universe. And that's really the most reasonable explanation you have for uh, having 50 dozen systems of magic that all seem to work for some people, but none of them seem to work for every person. So when we look at that, we can then say that that chaos magic mentality, that theory, really does explain classic magic better than classic magic does from an objective, unbiased observer. Now, from a non-objective, very biased observer, you're immediately going to go with no God and or Jesus, or because Odin says so, because Thor, because Thor. Well, how does Mjolnir protect you? Because Thor. Well, that's okay. As a Norseman, I would kind of buy into that myself. But I recognize that these modern myths that we work with also influence how we see magic in general. Especially, as I said, most systems are chaos magic now because they create a paradigm, they help indoctrinate you into it, and get you in the right mind frame for it. And they go into some of that theory of mind frame to help you achieve success, if not with the initial method, then by altering the initial method to fit what you need to make it work. So instead of, you know, the Mjolnir protects me because Thor, 
it's more the Mjolnir protects me because I believe in Thor, and my belief in Thor makes a connection to Thor. Now, chaos magic in its strictest form does not necessarily believe that any gods or goddesses exist, so it gets applied in its theory form to a lot of systems to amplify their existing methodology because it does explain some of the how. And once we understand the how, we get past the doubting self, which seems to be the biggest block in magic. It's that part of you that doubts that you can change things or that you can make a difference in what you're dealing with. So then, what are these modern myths that I keep referencing? I know I've said it a couple times now. And, you know, how does the modern myth differ from the classic myth? Well, the modern myth almost always compares things to a real-world analog. Scratch that. Not real-world. We always like to call this the real-world. That's a bad mind frame for working in magic. It's a, it's a verbal mistake that we like to make, all of us, myself included, and that we should correct, because I should say it works best to use a mundane example, that these modern myths almost always use a mundane comparison to how they achieve what they do, oftentimes using mundane terms or parts of mythology of the modern era that we take for granted or that we just accept on face value because it sounds like something we've heard of before that was accurate. Funny note for you, classic mythology for mysticism works more or less the same way but with less science to back up the myth part of it. So one of the modern myths I like to get into all of the time are shields. We talk about shielding and grounding, and, you know, I'm sure there's a concept of grounding in various energy work systems, because I've seen concepts of balancing and getting rid of excess energy. But the way we use the term grounding, we're definitely using a scientific term for getting rid of excess that definitely didn't exist before electricity. So that one falls under the modern. But then shields. Okay, so if I tell you, you come to me and say, I'm under attack, what should I do? And I say, well, have you tried shielding yet? Everybody knows what I meant. Everybody. Uh, yeah, even you in the back there who go, who are looking at yourself going, me? Yeah, you. Everybody knows what I meant. Because you've seen Star Trek and Star Wars and, and Babylon 5 and uh, Battlestar Galactica and a thousand, thousand, thousand other pieces of science fiction working in which the term shield referred to a permeating field that eh, just kind of magically stops incoming attack to some degree, a force versus force field, a, a field of protective force, you could say, because we've grown up with these things on radio, teleplays, television, comic books, books of fiction, obviously, and science fiction, movies, and various other media forms, this is part of our modern mythos. I don't have to explain to you what I mean when I say, have you tried shielding? You might not know how to do it. You might want a ritual to do it because you've worked in systems that did a spell for a method. Or you worked in systems where it was based around calling something else. 
But you're still thinking of shielding the same way I was when I said it, in the same way that you probably are hearing it right now. You're not thinking of a tower shield, because that blocks something coming in from the front. You're thinking of a field of force. So that is in the modern myth, and it influences the way we do magic, even to what we ask spirits to do if we're working in a form of animism, or what we ask ourselves to do when we direct our energy, we'll get into that one in a second, outward. So that is part of the modern mythos. If I looked at someone and they said, yeah, my energy feels off, I, if I told them, well, you need to change your polarity, the funny thing is, that doesn't even necessarily have to have a meaning. Change your polarity. Change your polarity might not mean anything to me when I say it. Um, it does for me and my methods, but it might not for some people. But most people, if we're dealing with the concept of an energy, and you say you feel off, you feel like your energy is kind of way down, changing your polarity means shifting things energetically in a different direction. So if it was going left, it goes right now. If it was uh, pushing outward, it needs to pull inward. If it was running very slow, it needs to run fast. If it was running fast, it needs to run slow. The idea being that by changing this, this function of this energetic self, of this concept of self, maybe of this idea of self, that we can shake off whatever's following us. Now, in older traditions, they would say that you needed to amplify your luck, or you needed to shake something off you. You needed to clean it off you because you were dirty. But that was the mythology they had at the time. Our mythology is based around ideas of electricity and energy and fantastic things like flying cars that never came to be. So our mythology, immediately it gives a person an idea of how to do something, even if it wasn't the idea that the speaker or author intended. And it works a lot. It works a lot because the way magic actually does work, which is more intent and focus to achieve a result, but the mind has to believe there's a way to get to the result to get there. And if it doesn't believe there's a way to get there, it tends to block itself out. Frequency. Frequency. Oh, gods. I'm going to get into frequency. And this is the point at which, if this was a live show, I'd I'd take a small break so that I can have Justin shoot me. Um, I use the term frequency myself in the same way the rest of you do. But I've tried to stop a fair bit. And I've tried to pull back on that. Because it really attempts to hijack a scientific term. To appropriate a scientific term, if you will. And use it in a way that, while yes, anyone working with energy understands the idea of running their energy high or low the concept of frequency in that tends to make people think that their system is more valid than everyone else's tends to give them an ego trip because they think that scientific research backs it up because they happen to have stolen a scientific term which brings us to energy of course as the chief culprit now, energy is a funny one, because energy for thousands of years did not mean what it means to us today. And moreover, energy, even in the past couple hundred years, didn't mean what it means to us today. At some point, we started using the term energy to mean aether, or essence, or life force, life flowing vitality, 
we started taking to use the term energy as a representation for this because the term energy in science kind of started getting misused as a storage term for things like batteries and fuel cells and such. So as science stumbled in its use of terms, so too did metaphysics. But this even happened before the day of electricity. Energy started being used in this way to some degree, even in early mystical texts. The problem with energy is that it's not actually energy from a scientific standpoint, and it makes it incredibly difficult to pin down what it is to someone, whereas even terms like essence are hard to pin down, because oftentimes a person who can work with something or experience it doesn't have the education to explain how to do so for another. And the truth is with energy work, which is a term that I do like, even though I hate the use of the word energy sometimes, you don't explain to someone what energy work is. You explain to them how to do it. You explain that this is what I believe it is. This is my understanding of it. If you follow these steps, you'll be able to use it. You'll be able to effectively call upon it. And it may be essence or vitality or spirit. It may be a form of animism where you're talking to the, the, animal, the animal self of the self, where you're talking to your body as an animal and getting it to use some of that vital energy to do things. Don't know. Honestly, don't care. And the reason I say I don't care is because caring too much on magic creates one who is so skeptical that they short out their own workings. And what I mean by this is, if you have a certain belief that your system is not going to work, no amount of doing the dance or even the breathing is going to make it work. There is a leap of faith that happens in all magical operations. If you can't make it past that leap, you will not get results. I don't care how good you think you are or how good you think your system is. I, I, I see a lot of elitists roam about, talking about, if you do these steps, they'll always work. No, they don't. No, the step that works is when you've fasted for five days, you are now in an altered state because you're starving. I can achieve the same thing in 20 minutes of meditation. Actually, I can achieve the same thing in five minutes of direct focus. But I've been doing this for a little while, and I actually asked myself how things worked when I seen them work. And that's me being a little elitist, because my thing is, I don't get in, I, I never get more elite than I do when I see someone else acting like an elite. But that idea that, well, this system always works. No, it doesn't. And energy work doesn't always work, because some people don't have a kinesthetic response. So it's very hard for them to sense through the, through the aspect of feeling a physical response or through a feeling of an emotional response to give them an idea which an emotional response is a physical response overlaid on the body. In case, for people that don't understand, emotional responses are a physical response. When you're happy, you have certain physiological reactions that occur. Some people cannot use their mind to work with that. I actually knew someone who could not use their mind to work with that in that way, who utilized sound for it. I know some people use utilize visualization. That can be good, but it can also be bad, because for a lot of people, engaging the imagination center is much easier than engaging anything like energy with the imagination center. So I always say if you're using visualization, you want to use some form of kinesthetic or audio or some other response to show that the energy is in motion, because it is very easy to fool the imagery center of the brain. The other centers are usually tied into primal reactions a little bit better. 
And I believe that magic is a primal thing. I believe that it is a primal part of our brain that we're tapping into that we are kind of cut off from. But that's my personal belief. That's my mythology. Same mythology you might be buying into. So what are some other ones that we have in this uh, modern myths? The idea of mana as a, as a resource, energy as a resource, having an energy bar. Okay, we can thank video games for this. Thanks to the advent of video games and spells that ca get cast in video games, we see energy as a limited resource. We see it as this idea that you have a, a gas tank that has X amount in it, and you can only pour off, you know, so much before you run out. We also, for some reason, think we have hit point bars, and realistically, we don't have hit point bars. We have targets that knock us out if they're hit just right. But this view creates a model. Same way that shield has an upper limit to what it'll block, instead of being perfectly stable simply because it was told to be so. By the same token, that would then come against will versus will, which it's easier to measure like energy to our minds, like power in motion that we can read on a scale to our numeric and educated minds, than it would have been, you know, 50, 60, better yet, two, 300 years ago. Now, 300 years ago, the idea of energy and, you know, I only have so much energy to do this spell. No, you may only have so much physical energy, and it may wear you out to do it. But it wouldn't have been seen as energy. It would have been seen as vitality or sense or essence, sense of self, or even just mental focus before fatigue sets in. So that modern myth, the idea of storing energy of mana bars, but also then storing energy into other things. Because of the view and the idea of storing energy into other things, we've now reached a point where we can charge objects with energy to simply use them as a battery. Because it's in our mythos. And the funny thing is, people that are very good with it, they can then charge a set of objects and someone else will notice the charge. Yeah, we make talismans before this, and yeah, you could argue that the energy model is just explaining what the talisman model already did, but I guess if you're on the talisman side of that, where it's just, you know, you've done these things and now it's a talisman, you would argue that this person simply found a set of steps that makes a talisman that feels vibrant. And you would both be right from your own point of view. So then, how does all of this change the paradigm of working magic for the modern mystic? Well, knowing this allows us to work in other systems more efficiently. It means that I can pick up a book from any system and get something out of it. Maybe not what I would get out of it if I were immersed in that system, but I definitely gain something I can add to my own mythos if I so choose to. How does this change working with just direct magic of any kind, whether it be through an altar or directed focusing exercises or the vaunted energy work that I'm always saying gets misrepresented in the communities? Well, by understanding the classical method versus the modern method, understanding how energy work came about, we can start to grow in understanding that a lot of the limitations of magic that we thought were there, not things like gravity, 
but things like instilling power into an object or an object needing to be made of a specific material to achieve a specific goal are not necessarily as required to actually achieving the goal. They may be required to work in a system traditionally. And this is where your traditionalists get the most upset with your modern mystics. The traditionalists will say, no, it says that needs to be made out of ivory. So you need to get an ivory knife. It says so in the text. Whereas your modern mystic says, I picked up a really sharp rock, will that work? The traditionalist says no. The modern mystic says, well, I said it will. And I will shift my mind frame that this one rock is now the most important rock in the universe. And it works for them. They get a result. The modern mystic will get a result out of it. But then they'll say, oh yes, I'm using that system that uses ivory knives. And the traditionalist will staunchly refuse to agree. And I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to hate myself for this, but I'm on the side of the traditionalist for that. You're not doing goetic magic, not Solomonic for certain. You're not doing uh, Solomonic magic as per the lesser key of Solomon, unless you're going through all the steps, which requires a lot of creating of tools and a very detailed and intricate process that also lacks anything like energy or meditation. Yet, energy and meditation, meditation is another part of that modern myth, um, that just the act of meditating makes you a better spellcaster. It's an idea that we got because we've seen other methods of mysticism do it, and we said, well, it must be universal because I don't understand that over there, and there's so much I don't understand, and a person doesn't know anything, I've got to believe that it's all the same thing. That literally is the idea set we took with it. So, meditation is another one. And yet, meditation does seem to work like that. Why? I think because it's something that it has its own innate benefit, like the clarity of mind, the ability to focus your mind, the ability to shift into other states of awareness with certain types of meditation. I think all of those things, at the end of the day, help then lead to the idea that any meditation will grant that power, and it circumvents that, and you start making that your reality. A lot of people are going to say, well, if the traditionalists are right, that that's not how you do something. You can't call it that if it's traditional. And that's just, that's more of a matter of semantics because you don't say that you're an expert, you know, marksman with a gun when you only ever shoot a bow and arrow and can only hit a target with one. That's just not what you do. So with those things, pulling all of this back here, a lot of people are going to ask the question, well, what is real? And I'm going to be the first one to tell you, it doesn't matter. What matters is can you get a result from your magic? Have you achieved results, and are you achieving the results you want? Now, I run into this a lot. I do this for a living, and as a result, I get a lot of questions, and people say, well, I did these things. So, well, did you do this other thing? Well, no. So, why not? Well, because I didn't want to. Okay. Well, do the other thing. This. Well, no, I still don't want to. All right, so did you get the result you wanted? Well, yeah, yeah, I always get the result I wanted. Okay, so why are you coming to me asking for advice on how to do this better? Well, I didn't get the result exactly as I wanted. I didn't get it what I wanted, but I know I got some result. Well, if you didn't get the result you wanted, then, yeah, you might have hit the target, and that's a good mentality to have, especially when starting out. 
but that doesn't mean you're effective enough to hit the target every time or hit the target the way you want to. So maybe you should try doing this other thing. So my point within that little tirade there, I run into a lot people that are set in their own method and what they really want to do is complain that nothing else introduced to their method works when they never introduce anything into their method that's recommended to them. This is a way of self-biasing. These people tend to usually talk about how great and powerful and unstoppable and blah, 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 and not even their final form, okay? I hear it all the time, but they're not getting the result they want. Well, the reason they're not getting the result they want is because they've not expanded their repertoire. They've not expanded their awareness. And they're probably not entering a state where they're totally in line with their own internal mythos, where they have made it real for themselves, where they've suspended disbelief and tapped into something that we cannot explain to make it happen. And the reason I call it something that we cannot explain is because in the old days we called God something we cannot explain. And now we call it energy, or we call it animism, we call it spirit, we call it essence. But it's still the same thing we're tapping into, and the first thing you have to do is be able to suspend your disbelief and enter that altered state of mind frame where you are now in a hyper-focused, hyper-aware state that is calm and directed. That is how we work magic. And understanding that calm, directed nature, that hyper-aware state, is the key to getting better at doing magic. So I, I recommend Qigong a lot to people. I recommend Qigong more than I do Qigong. Uh, a funny note for you. Um, I recommend meditation to people. Not more than I do meditation, but, uh, hey, some days when I'm busy and I, I have a lot of people i got to respond to, I sometimes do recommend meditation more than I get to meditate. I might spend two or three hours recommending meditation and not get but five minutes of it actually in at the end of the day. So I recommend meditation more than I get to meditate. And I recommend some form of energy work system, be it traditional or modern, so long as you can get a, a response from it that is kinesthetic, that is directed and is moving a life force energy within you, or moving external energies in a way that you can at least observe in a semi-reliable fashion. And I say semi-reliable because nothing's 100%, but if you sit there and you extend your awareness by first visualizing yourself going outward, getting bigger, expanding your, your field of view, or even just moving your consciousness around to see and experience more things, or treating the area as your body and feeling more of it. It's another good one with that. If you're doing something like that, that may not be something you find in every book or any book, and yet it can still work really good if you're practicing with it, even though it's not exactly an energy method. But that's also very different from just sitting there and imagining you're really big and tough and you beat up 500 people today. 
No, that's imagination, and imagination has its place for the visualization aspect, but you need some other kind of kinetic, kin, kinesthetic feedback. And kinesthetic, I said it a dozen times, I should have defined it. You can look up the meaning of the word, but basically it's uh, feeling, tactile senses. Um, for energy work, it means feeling the energy moving through your body. It is sensation, it is feeling, it is awareness. Without these things, I find visualization usually fails. In fact, I would take someone who can kinesthetically feel energy as an energy worker above and beyond someone who visualizes it but can never feel it. To date, I have only met maybe one or two people who could not kinesthetically feel energy, and actually with enough exercises they could, but they usually had usually had another cue, which, again, for audio learners, it was an audio cue. They could hear sound changing, and from that they knew where the energy was and how it was moving. It's instinctive. It's innate in its base. It makes it very hard to teach. It's not something you can just do a course on and it be the same for everyone, because if you do a course on energy work, you're going to have at least one prodigy in a group of a thousand who does not do it the way you learned or do, and does not talk or think in the way anyone else does, and you're going to think that they're a failure when the reality is they're probably the best person there at it. They just don't have a way of explaining what they do, and you have no way of helping them get to where they need to be to do it. It's why I like to deal with people one-on-one -on -one as much as I can in any kind of teaching environments. But with that, I've hit on a lot. I, I've, I've really hit on a lot with this modern myth. When we understand it, we can also understand where our own dogma is and where that dogma creates limitations as to what we can and can't do, what we can and cannot achieve, as well as what we will and won't do. And we also can see where we set ourselves up with safety nets to not try to do amazing things. You know, I would say the greatest failure of any mystic is the belief that they cannot do a thing that is within reason to do. I say within reason meaning affecting probability and minor small-scale manifestations of the phenomenon. I'm more than willing to believe that you can harden your body at will, to take a punch and break someone's hand. Not so willing to believe you can do it with a bullet. Why? Because I've studied enough Qigong to harden against a punch. To stop a punch. Never was enough to stop a bullet. Never tested it with a bullet either, to be fair. Uh, tested it with a boken. That definitely got my attention. Um, but that one, I wasn't actively trying to defend myself either, so to be fair, to be to be really fair, it wasn't probably my most shining moment of that. But I've also seen, even against punches, I've seen it work and I've seen it fail for myself, and that was when I was training exclusively in that. With those kinds of things, a lot of people say, well, I can't do this thing. I can't achieve the result I'm looking for. And I look at them and I say, well, is it that you can't achieve the result or that you don't want to take steps to get outside of your paradigm? Or is it that the result is locked behind a wall of conditions that you won't let yourself overcome? I can't get 
A and t because I am in state B. That's a favorite one. I've had people tell me they can't get a job because it's not the job they wanted. They cast for a job and other jobs showed up. And I said, well, do you think those jobs may have been something you have on your resume? You haven't worked in two years. Well, that's not what I wanted Magic to do. Well, I, I got news for you. I got news for you. Magic doesn't care what you wanted it to do. To be fair, all of the compassion and love in my heart for you on this, you know, I, 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 my heart really goes out to you. And I, I have a great deal of emotion in saying, I don't care either. And what I mean by that is I, I want you to get your result. But if the step you've got to take means going this other road to get there because magic is manifesting a direction to that other road 800 times a day, I could care less as to the reason why you're not taking the road. In my mind, you've insulted one of the few sacred things to me. I probably don't want to hear your excuses. And I'll be the first person to tell you, please, please always remember to quit your bitching and to try something else or to even try going down one of the roads that's necessary to manifest what you wanted. It's not always uh, going to be fun and pleasant to get what you want. It's not always going to be necessarily going down the road you hope to go down. But that is something we gain from understanding that modern mythos because when we understand that it's not some judgmental guy who's like, nope, nope, they wanted a new job, but they needed it to be in the career of astrophysics, and uh, they wouldn't take that position at the college where they could have took courses uh, at half price for astrophysics. I'm just going to mark an X on this. We're going to mark an X in the no box, just because I don't feel like giving it to them. That's not, there's no big angry guy in the sky making that decision. Magic gave you the opportunity. Maybe the opportunity was even further away than that. Maybe you want that job in astrophysics. But, you know, you've got to go from flipping burgers to managing, managing a burger place. Maybe you got to go from living in a town where the only job you can get is flipping burgers to a place where there's factory work and more colleges. And every opportunity for you to move came up. You know, your friends in another town said, hey, you know, come stay with us. You were getting evicted. But instead, you took out a loan and stayed where you were at. And now you're paying a bigger loan off. And you're about to walk up to Magic and be like, Magic, help me get to where I need to be. And Magic's like, you need to be two towns over. And the only way I can do that is to default that loan and put you into bankruptcy. So here we go. We're going on the ride. Magic is like a genie that has a limited toolbox to get done what he needs to do. You know, yeah, phenomenal cosmic powers and all that happy stuff. But... It's got to work through probability, and it's got to work through some options within the mundane to achieve the result. And sometimes it is spectacular. Sometimes it's unbelievable and amazing. Sometimes it's not. Most of the time, it's not. It's getting coincidences to line up for you. And people don't want to deal with that. Now, there's other things in magic that don't require coincidences. Yeah, coincidences. You see, I mean, I'm getting so hyped up now. I'm, I'm going faster than my tongue can keep up. There are other things in, in magic and mysticism that do not require coincidences. Things like extending your senses to be aware of things, 
learning how to utilize your intuition as a Geiger counter, learning how to weed out intuition from paranoia and fear, learning how to manifest momentary changes where you change a person's view of you or change their mentality or change their mood or change your mood. A lot of this is directed magic. It's part of the old psychic arts books that you used to pick up at every dollar store and every dime store. You used to be able to grab, you know, three of them for a dollar at the supermarket and unlock your psychic potential. Yeah, you know what? That's a good foundation for magic most of the time. Because a lot of the same skills that do short-term things there do long-term things when applied to mysticism. And they're part of the modern myth. Psychic energy is part of the modern myth. So it's easy to incorporate that into your magic. What will slow you down as a practitioner more than anything else at the end of the day is going to be either being stuck in a completely dogmatic system or being stuck in a completely non-dogmatic system. Now, hear me out. When I say a completely non-dogmatic system, it's where you get this belief that if I believe, it will make things happen. There is no action that is required to go from point A to point B. That doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because all these things that modern mythology and classic mythology, all of them always have cause and effect. You have to have something that you're doing to get something out of it. So just believing that, you know, you're going to get that new job, you might get that if you're also meditating a couple hours every day. You might, you might get that result because that meditation is actually what you believed in. That's the hard work that your mind believes you put in. If by definition of meditation you mean eating potato chips and drinking soda pop while you want uh, comedy specials on Netflix? No. No, that will not get you the result. Because no part of your mind sees the modern myth saying that that will get you a result with magic. And I don't care how good you are as a chaos magician, you will not get your mind wrapped around that idea to circumvent the system in that way. But for you traditionalists also, I don't care how highly you think of someone claiming to be Solomon who penned a bunch of texts on how to do something, unless you're immersed in that methodology, you will not get results. If you don't believe me, try it out. Go worship another god for a while. Go worship something else. Really put your faith in somewhere else. Give yourself a couple of years to where you believe in that other force more than you do the old method. And then go back and uh, you know try your Solomonic method, see how well it works for you. Be willing to bet it would fail. I'd be willing to bet it would fail. And I'm not a guy who makes bets unless I know I'm going to win. Don't make bets unless I know I'm going to win. And on this, I know I'm going to win. There's no question in my mind. Because I've seen it a thousand times. I've helped hundreds of people overcome their limitations as it concerns magic. And it always comes down to finding their paradigm, helping them get out of the part of it that's slowing them down, and helping find out what their mythology is. And most people's mythology is if you put a little more hard work and effort into it, you can overcome it. That's it. That's most of the show. I think I've, I've covered everything uh, real quick. I wanted to do a current state of affairs on the world. <clears throat> so uh, bear with me here. 
So I've looked over the, uh, the, the state of the world. Sucks. Yep. But it's getting better, and it will continue to suck and get better as time goes on. And I feel that, that this message will uh, remain true and accurate for the next hundred years. But beyond that, what I've seen is a lot of people want to wake up in their magical practices, in their mundane life, in everything. And I think you can do that. I think that when we talk about awakening the night within, when I say awaken the night within, and I'm talking to, to mystics or potential mystics, I'm talking about waking up that part of yourself that is going to sit there and is going to have the courage to look at your dogma and say, all right, so why did this actually work? But it's also going to have the courage to look at your questioning self and how it stripped away any dogma and go, okay, so I know if I want to work with this, I've actually got to believe in it, at least while I'm working with it. I've got to slip into that paradigm, and it's got to be true to me, and i got to take the risk of it being true to me for the rest of my life. I've got to take the risk that it will never stop being true to me. You know, that is how I became Norse in a lot of ways. I had a calling from the gods. I could feel their presence. But I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. And truthfully, I don't always understand it to this day. But I knew I needed to go in that direction. And I didn't want to give up what I already had, which was the stability of being a Christian who was working magic in a even less dogmatic way than I do now. And in that, I knew when I worked with the gods, there was a risk that one day I would become this other person. What other person is that? A man who traded his insecurities for confidence. A man who traded fear for bravery, weakness for strength, uh, Ignorance for knowledge. Definitely someone who traded doubt for knowledge and awareness. I definitely traded doubt for capability. And those were rough trades to take. But it also meant that I could never look at the gods and not believe in them. So when I talk about all of this stuff from before... You notice I was very non-dogmatic. I wasn't putting my take on it. That's because I wanted to do an episode like this. You know, I returned to, to the Knights of Awakening on Blog Talk Radio. I wanted to do this episode first because a lot of the episodes I'm going to get into that follow are probably going to be either directly energy work techniques, which kind of sucks because I can't do an hour episode on one technique. I, I just, I can't do it. it. The techniques are too easy. I can do an episode on a technique... And then sit there for an hour and be like, you need to train harder. No, 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 no. Harder than that. Um, but I can't just sit there and talk about one method. And almost all methods are the same method at the end of the day, once you gain some experience with them. So instead, some of this will be me talking about my philosophy as it concerns magic. Some of it will be talking about the natures of gods and goddesses and working with them, working with angels and other spirits, and things of that nature. And I feel like I've done this topic a hundred times. And I know I have not done this topic a hundred times. But it's probably because I've talked to people about this a hundred times. 
or a thousand or a million or some obscenely high number. And that's necessary because everyone always asks, how does this work? What do you think about this? And well, it doesn't matter what I think about it. It matters what you think about it and how that affects your mysticism. But when I tell you what I think about it, I've got to go over this understanding of how magic works, classic versus chaos, uh, the old versus the new, modern myth versus classic myth, before you will understand what you need to know to even look at magic. And that's what I mean when I tell you to, wait, to awaken the night within. Because until you're awake to that understanding, until you have awakened and you look at mysticism like that, you're not on the same page where you can even start reading the introduction of what it means to work magic in the modern day, to work it without limitations, to be able to sit there and walk into any system and do what is in there and then still come out the same person on the other side. You've got to be able to do that. So I've, I've, I know I've went over this hundreds of times with people because at the end of the day, most people are stuck in their own dogma. They're stuck in their own system. They're stuck in either the classic mentality or a modern mentality that says, well, then nothing is real. And it gets huffy about it. And, you know, I think there is a reality. I think there are gods. I think there are spirits. I think there are greater forces out there. I'd be a damned fool if I told you I thought that one of them had a red beard and wielded a hammer in, an, in another world just like ours. I would feel like a damn fool if I said that, because such a thing could never hear my calls, and I've experienced it hearing it. I've experienced it moving me out of the way of danger, or moving me into the, into the path of opportunity. I'd be a damned fool if I said it wasn't there, but I'd be an equal fool if I said that I thought it, you know, had cereal for breakfast. I, I'd be an equal fool if I said, yeah, I think it drinks mead in the way that I drink mead. No, I think these are symbols for bigger things. And I think all magic is a symbolic way of working with something bigger. And until you understand why the classic worked the way it did and why so many people cling to it, even though they're not in the mythos, and why they don't get results while they cling to it, you can't even begin to start breaking it down for yourself and finding out what you believe in and what's going to work for you. Because it doesn't matter what worked for me. I cannot put Thor in a bottle and hand him to you. But I can call upon him in a moment's notice and get a result. I cannot put Odin in a bottle and hand him to you, but I can call upon him in a moment's notice and get a result. I can't put the flow of the universe, energy work, key, essence, divinity in a bottle and hand it to you. I can't. I can attune you to my understanding of it. I can make a talisman that radiates it. But I can't just put it inside of you and then boom, you know all that I know because you've had all the experiences I have. That's not how it works. So I have to go through this explanation so that you can get started looking at magic. That's what this is. That's what it means when I'm telling you to awaken the night within. So I want all of you today, if you listen to this all the way up to here, I want you to sit down and I want you to think about what you've got to do in your mysticism to awaken the night within.